Good morning. Hey, I want to uh, take an opportunity just to get our kids ready to uh, go out for their time. <clears throat> and, I, and I like this part because I think our kids remind us so much about the kingdom of God and what it's like on the blue X uh, over there. So you're, you're doing good. It's hard to find good help these days. So. Um, you kind of see what's going on in the world today, and there's a lot of people um, at, in power plays um, politically. And, and I love when the followers of Jesus uh, were arguing about greatness and who was going to be on his right and left and all these symbols of power. And Jesus grabs this little kid, and he says, Listen, this is how it works in the kingdom of God. You become the least of the group. If you want to understand power, then learn what it means to seek, you know, descend into greatness and seek to be the slave or the servant of everybody else in the group. That is power in God's kingdom. And, and I think our kids are a great reminder of that this morning. So kids like Jesus prayed a blessing over the kids that parents brought them to him. I want to pray a blessing over you and then we'll send you out with the gang this morning. So, Father, thank you for our children. Thank you for their beauty. Thank you for their innocence. And thank you for their complete dependence on others. And that's a great example for us in our relationship with you. Thank you for the people that are serving them this morning by um, letting them have fun and teaching them and just showing them what love looks like uh, in action. So uh, we're grateful to be uh, <clears throat> in partnership with them as we worship you together this morning. Amen. So kids, we'll let you guys uh, go on your way, and you can go out. I think Stacy's back there. There's some other people. Um, which way are they going, Stacy? Out the back or that way? So some went out that way, so you'll have to chase them and catch them. And the rest are going out back. And uh, <clears throat> again, every week, uh, it looks... Well, I hope it looks somewhat polished up here, but you need to understand every week we're also just like, who are we going to have this week? How is this going to play out? So uh, it's still sometimes precarious, and I don't know if I'm supposed to tell you that or not, but I am telling you that, um, not as an excuse, but just to help you understand the reality of things. Okay, before I jump into things this morning, um, <clears throat> what's happening in Ukraine continues to be an ongoing concern for lots of people and so there were a few people who talked this week and were hoping that there could be a, a gathering for people to come and to pray and so tonight we're going to host that if you would like to come tonight at seven o'clock and just join with other people um, from the community different churches other people that that may come and and spend um, roughly about an hour um, just praying for what's happening in Ukraine then uh, that I would encourage you to come and, uh, and we're actually people that are supposed to believe that when we pray, it actually makes a difference. And so I think tonight is a great example of our trust in the fact that when we pray, uh, God actually is listening and wants to intervene. And so I encourage you to come tonight if you want. And um, it'll be, I think it'll just be a great experience. So that's tonight, 7 o'clock here at New Life. <clears throat> what else? Um, next Sunday... You're going to have to wear your masks, and then the very next day you won't have to if you don't want to.
But next Sunday, even though it's the day before, um, when we don't have to wear a mask, we've been working with our government officials and our health professionals all along the way. So next Sunday when you come, please wear your mask. And then the following Sunday, you don't have to if you don't want to. But if you want to, we're totally cool with that. I was already asked this morning if I would keep wearing my mask um, just so they didn't have to look at me. But, um, but you don't have to do that. So I could feel the love this morning, and it was great to, to just have that shared with me. Okay. So this weekend, uh, we did a, a long journey, uh, a trip, just because, and we didn't need the sat-nav, or I think when I really got into these things, we were in England, and everybody there calls them sat-navs, so I call them sat-navs, but I know that you call them a GPS. And I wonder if you've ever driven somewhere and had to use the GPS. And maybe it's the little device that, you, you know, you lick your thumb and rub the back of it and shove it on the window, or nowadays it's just grab your phone. A lot of you probably drive cars that, um, that have the, the GPS built right into it. But they're wonderful devices. You just say where you want to go, and you punch it in, and it just tells you where you're going. And it will lead you and guide you and direct you, and you'll get to your destination. And uh, I used to love putting on the different voices, you know, like John Cleese from Monty Python had his voice and Darth Vader voice and an old European lady like, if you get to the place where I told you, then I was right, you know, and, and that kind of thing. And it was fun and you could follow the GPS wherever it was going to take you. And for some people that was off the end of a pier and into the water and you just didn't have to think and use your brain and you could just drive and end up at your destination. They are wonderful things, very directive, very helpful. And I think there's maybe a little bit of a correlation with understanding the role of the Holy Spirit uh, with the church. And that's what we're looking at as we look at um, this man named Luke who wrote most of our New Testament. And a lot of people will say, well, Paul wrote most of the New Testament, a man named Paul who was called an apostle. And, uh, and if you look at it word for word, um, Luke's gospel, the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, actually comprise more content than all of Paul's letters combined. So Luke is a very influential person in the early church. And so what we've been doing, if you're, if you're just tracking with us today, is we've been walking through what's called the gospel of Luke. Another way of calling that is a good news story of, that Luke wrote. It's a historical account of Jesus. But, but Luke... Um, the Gospel of Luke is volume 1, the book of Acts is volume 2. And so last week we looked at what does Luke teach us about the Holy Spirit of God in the Gospel of Luke and, and as it relates to Jesus. And then this week, even though we're camping out in Luke's Gospel, we're actually going to just hop over into the book of Acts for today and look at this, what Luke teaches us about the Holy Spirit and the church. So I want to talk a little bit just to kind of get our heads wrapped around this about Jesus, the Spirit, and the church, and then we'll talk about the Spirit, the church, and Jesus. And so when it comes to Jesus and the Spirit and the church, in the Gospel of Luke, we see that Jesus is revealing the work of the Holy Spirit to his followers. So it's fascinating when you read Matthew, Mark, and John, and then compare that with Luke, how much emphasis Luke places on the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. And so what you see in Luke's gospel is that Jesus is opening up the world to this third person of the Trinity, the triune nature of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And often we wrestle with who is the Holy Spirit. 
And I would just encourage you to go back to last week's message and look at that because what I said was understanding the Holy Spirit, the best way to do that is to actually understand who Jesus is. Because as we know Jesus, we realize that the Spirit is part of the same triune nature of who God is. So the Spirit's not going to differ in how Jesus behaves even though he's a separate person of who God is. So Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. He reveals the Holy Spirit to the world. The Spirit is leading Jesus. And then what we read in Luke 24, verse 49 is this. Jesus is speaking to his followers and he says, I am going to send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with, there's that word, power from heaven. So Jesus is resurrected from the dead. He's going to ascend back to the Father. And before he does that, he says, I am going to send the Holy Spirit. But wait here until that happens. And it's Jesus who is giving the Spirit to the disciples. So in Luke, Jesus is revealing the work of the Spirit to the world. In the book of Acts, it is the Spirit working through the church revealing Jesus to the world. It's almost like they've reversed roles. Jesus shows us who the Spirit is, talks about the Holy Spirit, and then in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is revealing Jesus to the world. But what's interesting is in the book of Acts, he is doing that predominantly through God's people, through people who are choosing to follow Jesus. And we also call that group of people the church, the big C church. Not just this church, but the church, global church, worldwide. So when you're looking at Luke and Acts, there's these interesting things with receiving the Holy Spirit. So in Luke chapter 3, you'll read this in verse 20 to 22, that Jesus is being baptized. And at his baptism, we read that the Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove. In bodily form like a dove. So people saw something happening with Jesus and the Spirit comes upon him in the form of a dove. And we talked about how that is reminiscent probably of of Noah back in Genesis chapter 8. There's the great flood and God recreates the earth after the flood. And Noah sends out a dove and the dove comes back with a branch in its leaf. With a branch in its leaf. With a leaf in its beak. So... And there's this indication that the dove represents this new creation. And then the Spirit's on Jesus like a dove. And I think it might represent this new creation in Jesus that God was bringing about. Jesus was there in the first creation, and now he's present in the second creation. So that's in Luke. What's fascinating is when you come to the book of Acts, the Spirit descends again. Because Jesus said, I'm going to send the Spirit And then in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit descends on all the believers who are gathered together at that time, at least 120 of them, likely more. And we read that the Spirit doesn't descend this time like a dove. The Spirit descends this time that people can see, and it looks like flames of fire. It looks like people are are having flames on them. And that fascinated me, and I I was just considering all of this, and, and I wonder if with the, with the Spirit descending on a dove, as a dove like Jesus, there's this indication of a new creation. And with the Spirit descending like fire on the followers of Jesus, this sense of a new identity. So in the Old Testament, when you read about fire, there's a number of, um, 
a, a number of symbolisms with the element of fire. One of them is the presence of God. So in Exodus 3, when Moses meets the bush, the bush is on fire, if you're familiar with that story. There's, there's a bush on fire, and it's not burning up, and Moses checks out the bush and has an encounter with God. God's presence is in the fire. In Exodus 19, when Moses receives the Ten Commandments, really he receives the Torah, the, the law for, for Israel. In Exodus 19, God's on the mountain and there's fire and there's smoke and there's this idea of God's presence. And, and Israel gets its identity from the Torah, from the law of God. They're very wrapped up in their identity as people of, of the book of the books, the Pentateuch, the Torah. And so they had this identity that was, that was very keenly linked with the Torah. And then here in Acts 2, the followers of Jesus have fire coming upon them, the sense that God is present, and, and perhaps the symbolism of a new identity for these people who are being recreated by Jesus. And no longer people of the book, per se, but people of the Spirit where God is present. Jesus, the Spirit, and the church. And then we come into the book of Acts when the Spirit comes down and we have the Spirit now taking the dominant role in the book of Acts. Luke mentions the Holy Spirit more than 45 times. And the Spirit is using the church to reveal Jesus to the world. So the very beginning of Acts, Jesus is with his followers and they're saying to him, listen, we know you've said you've got to go back to be with the Father, but like, are, you gonna, are we going to know now when the kingdom's going to happen, when you're going to come back and God's going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says, ah, relax, that's not for you to worry about. God knows about that, don't worry about that. But I will give you the Holy Spirit, and then he says this to them, you will receive power, there's that word power again, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And you realize very quickly that when Luke is writing about the church, the followers of Jesus in the book of Acts, he's writing about people that are filled with the Holy Spirit. They're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And one of the biggest challenges that the church has faced over thousands of years is understanding what that power is all about. Because in our human nature, we crave power, and we treat power like a pyramid, and everyone's scrambling for the top. And in the kingdom of God, Jesus basically says, let's just invert that. and view the kingdom of God from this perspective. And so, when you read about power in the church, when you read about power in the Holy Spirit, it's not the kind of power that we're used to in our day and age. Where you have Vladimir Putin and Joe Biden, or Vladimir Zelensky, or Duda from Poland, or... Um, I can't remember the Belarus's guy's name, but all these people with power. We'll throw Justin Trudeau in the mix just for fun. And there are people at the top, and they have all the power, 
and there are few people around them that are called aides or secretaries, whatever they are, they are close to them, and they have some power. But there's very few people that have power that can make decisions that change everything. And in the background, there's this constant scrambling of people trying to rise up the ranks to get to the top so they have all the power. And it is so contrary to what Jesus modeled for us when he walked this earth, what he taught about, and what you see happening in the Spirit in the church. Because this is not how the kingdom of God operates. When the disciples hear that Jesus wants to give them power, their first question is, are we going to be able to predict when this is going to happen, when you're going to come back and we're really going to knock the crap out of everybody and make Israel on top? And there's this kind of power-hungry nature to them, and they want, they want the power, and they want the power to be able to predict the future. And that sounds like a good form of power, doesn't it? And I don't, Jesus doesn't criticize them for wanting to see the kingdom of God happen. What he criticizes them for is this wanting to control things and be in the know without everybody else being in the know. And he says, no, 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 you are going to receive power, but it's not for your own good. It's not for your own benefit. And you'll see in the book of Acts, the disciples, uh, uh, people wrestling with this idea of power. So if you go to Acts chapter 8, there's a guy named Philip, and he goes uh, into this region, and he's telling people about Jesus. And, and uh, the disciples come along, and they lay their hands on people, and they receive the Holy Spirit. And one of the people who's seeing this happen is a guy named Simon. And he's kind of into magic and mysticism and power, and he actually goes to the disciples, and he says, Hey, how much? What's it going to cost for you to give me some of that so that I can do the same thing? And he wants to buy this, you know, buy this power for himself. And, of course, uh, he's rebuked. He says, this isn't, this isn't how the kingdom of God operates. But I think the temptation for even people in the church throughout the centuries has been how to get power so that we can feel important so that we can call the shots. And in this verse here, Jesus says, you're going to receive power, but it's not for your benefit. It's so that you can tell people everywhere about me. Here's the power that you're, you and I are given as followers of Jesus, and that is simply to live out what good news looks like and to explain it to people to tell people about Jesus the spirit is at work in the church to tell people about Jesus and that's the kind of power that we are given and it's a power that is meant to be shared it's a power that is meant to be given away so that everyone can flourish and let me play the struggle for you. And, and maybe you, you've seen it or you haven't. We are so ingrained, uh, and the earliest followers here in, in the scriptures are so ingrained with power dynamics that are contrary to how it works in God's world that um, you see it played out here. So when Jesus was doing his ministry, he picked... A certain number of men to follow along with them that often get called apostles. How many were there? 
12. Yeah, that's the right answer. If you're never sure what the answer is and you're in church, just say Jesus. Okay? Because odds are you're probably right. But he chooses 12 men that are called apostles, and one of them betrays Jesus, and his name was Judas. You guys know that. You know that name. And Judas actually hangs himself in remorse. So now they're down to 11, and Jesus has gone back to the Father, and he says, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit, so hang out here in Jerusalem and just wait, because I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and you will have power. And so the disciples... Um, who are so accustomed to the power structure of their world, they're like, wait a minute, one of us is missing. Jesus chose 12. We've got to have 12, so let's make sure we've got 12, because it's the 12 of us that are going to do all the things that Jesus said we were going to do. All of the rest of history depends on the 12 of us. I'm paraphrasing a little bit in Acts chapter 1. And so Peter says, we got to choose somebody else to replace Judas. And it's got to be somebody who's been with us from the very beginning. So it narrows down to two guys, Joseph and Metathias. And what's curious and interesting here is you don't hear about the Holy Spirit being involved in this process, but they do what any good Christian would do. They pick up the dice and they gamble. And it says that they cast lots. And, And I would just equate that to grabbing some dice and playing crops and and the number falls to to Metathias and so they pick him great now we've got the 12 now everything that we have determined is the way that God is going to operate is now going to function perfectly and fully and they're really excited about this and then you get to Acts chapter 2 verse 1 On the day of Pentecost, Pentecost is a celebration that happened 50 days after the Passover. So basically, 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead, for 40 days he was with them, then he went back to the Father in heaven. It's been 10 days, they're celebrating Pentecost, and all the believers, not just the 12, all the believers, men and women, at least 120, were together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And then let's look at this. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So here's... Peter and the 12, and they're excited. Hey, there's 12 of us. We've got 12 now. Now we can do what Jesus wanted us to do because we have the power. And they're so jacked on this. And then the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit has been doing for thousands of years, and that is taking our little silly ideas and blowing them out of the water. Uh, Guys, I've got something else in store. You know, it's like you get the Holy Spirit and you get the Holy Spirit and you have the Holy Spirit and you have the Holy Spirit and everybody gets the Holy Spirit. It comes down and completely changes everything because in God's kingdom, power is meant to be shared and it's meant to, to be used to flourish people, not to control people. And the church even now is still learning lessons the hard way that we cannot control the Spirit of God when the Spirit of God is at work. 
The Spirit of God is going to move and do things that we couldn't imagine. And it's disturbing and it bothers people because we like, let's face it, we like to be in control. Were any of you out driving yesterday? What were you thinking? If you were out driving yesterday, at one point you were on the highways, at one point you probably had to slow down and you were getting white-knuckled or scared because you were losing control. We like control. And one thing that the Holy Spirit does best is takes control away from us and says, you are not going to contain me in what I'm going to do. In fact, as you read through the book of Acts, one of, the, one of the principles in there is for us to learn how to follow the Spirit's leading and the Spirit's direction. And the Spirit is always going to lead us, not into being able to control things, but being able to effectively show the world what it looks like when Jesus is present in a group of people. Because it becomes beautiful. And the power that we're given is to actually show the world who Jesus is. People the Spirit wants, believe it or not, I think, maybe I'm wrong, but I think when I read the Scriptures, what God wants through the Holy Spirit is for the world to encounter Jesus through us. That's power. I just think that's really cool. And that doesn't fill fill my ego. It's actually incredibly humbling. Let's go back to that sat-nav example. Have you ever been driving in your GPS or, or sat-nav? Uh, you're driving along and suddenly it says, in 300 meters, make a U-turn. And it's like saying, you missed the turnoff, you dummy! And you have a choice to make at that moment. Are you going to follow the directions of the sat-nav and do the U-turn? Or are you going to do what I often do. I'll just keep driving and eventually the blue line will readjust itself and it will, it will bend to my will. <laughs> There's times as you read through the book of Acts about the Holy Spirit that I think Luke makes really clear how directive the Holy Spirit wants to be for you and for us. In Luke chapter 4, we read that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and he was led by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness, into fasting for 40 days, and into trial and temptation, which was very difficult for him. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit leads the disciples in Jerusalem, all of them, to begin speaking in a way that everybody else there hears what is being said in their own language. The Holy Spirit is very directive. In Acts chapter 8, I'm just pulling out a few examples for you. In Acts chapter 8, there's a guy named Philip. And we read in Acts 8, the Spirit said to Philip, go down south to the desert road, to the middle of nowhere. And so Philip obeys. It's like that, make a U-turn. And Philip obeys, and he goes down to the middle of nowhere, this desert road, and he meets a guy in a chariot, a very wealthy, powerful official from Ethiopia. 
And then the Spirit says, go to the carriage and run alongside the carriage. And I can just imagine sometimes how these conversations, like, Spirit, why can't I get in the carriage? Uh, why do I have to run alongside the carriage? But that's what the Spirit directs him to do. And he has this conversation with the eunuch, and then he's uh, the Ethiopian man, and he, is, uh, he becomes a believer. And Philip baptizes him right there on the spot in the moment. And then we read that right after that, the Spirit snatched Philip away, and, and um, theologians and others will we'll kind of debate on what happened, how did that look, did he just vanish, or does it, is it just language for like he led him away to another place because the Ethiopian man never saw him again. But the Spirit is very, very directive. Here's where I want you to go, here's what I want you to do, here's what I want you to say. And that's difficult because as a community, we like to be in control. As individuals, we like to be in control, but I think there's something here for us as a community to pay attention to. That's why COVID has sucked so much, because it has taken away all the control that we had. I can't tell you how many Sundays I've wanted to come here and just be like, forget the stupid masks, forget the distancing, come here, I'm going to hug you. And we can't do that, and that frustrates people, and that's created a lot of division. And we won't get into all of that, but one of the things that we can agree on is that it's taken away our control, and we like control. And following the Spirit often means being willing to say, we're going to follow you, even when it's taking us to places that makes us incredibly uncomfortable. We don't like being uncomfortable. And yet, as you read through the book of Acts, over and over again, the Holy Spirit is making people feel uncomfortable. In Acts chapter 10, Peter, who's a very Jewish man, has a vision of a very un-Jewish man who wants to hear about Jesus, and, and his name is Cornelius, and Peter goes to this man. Peter makes himself unclean by going into this guy's house and finds out that the Spirit is at work in this man's life, that God wants everybody to experience Jesus, not just some people. And that made Peter and the earliest Christians incredibly uncomfortable. In Acts chapter 15, the early church wrestled with, could you follow Jesus and be a Christian without becoming Jewish? And for guys that were not Jewish, that's a big commitment. That's a big conversation to be had, because I'm talking about circumcision. But not to leave the women outdone, or undone, uh, outdone, undone. See, the, the problem with that is... There is nothing for you. You kind of got in through your husband. And then in the early church, what you find is the symbol is no longer circumcision, but baptism, which is open to anybody and everybody. And so the early church wrestled with where the Spirit was leading them. Make a U-turn. Because you're restricting people from having access to God. And it made the early church uncomfortable. And you can read about it in Acts 15, the struggle that they had. But then they came to terms with it. And they said, yeah, it seemed right to the Holy Spirit first and to us. I love the wording that Luke uses there. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. We've agreed with the Holy Spirit that he's right. That everybody has access to Jesus. Without having to have these types of limits put on them. And then in Acts 13... 
the early church in Antioch is praying. There's a bunch of them praying, and then we read about the Holy Spirit, and this is what the Holy Spirit says. One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. And then in verse 4, so Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is very directive in the life of the church. And the idea is, is just simply this, that the Holy Spirit wants to partner with God's people to reveal Jesus to the world. And that's the power that we have. The power that we're given as followers of Jesus, as a community and as individuals, is to behave and live in such a way that the world sees Jesus in us. That's why it's so important for us to stay centered on Jesus and to understand who God is in Jesus and how he taught and what he did and what he allowed and all of the things that are wrapped up in what it means to follow Jesus. And the Holy Spirit wants to partner with the church to reveal Jesus to the world. And I just think that that is so very cool. So there is a power from God that's available for you, and he wants to share it with you. And he wants you to understand, I think, that it's meant to be shared with others. So when you begin following Jesus, when you continue to choose to follow Jesus, the invitation is for your life to have blessing in it that is shared with everybody else. And really, if you think back to Abraham, when God said, Abraham, I'm going to bless all nations through you. That's just about sharing blessing, sharing power, so that people flourish. I said last week, the world doesn't just need intellectual procurement about who Jesus is. They need to experience him. They need to experience God. And that happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that can happen in an individual's encounter and experience with God. But I think also that people experience the Holy Spirit. They experience the Spirit of Jesus Christ in the community of Jesus followers. And this is how we live out the power of God. It produces things like the fruit of the Spirit. The greatest manifestation of the Spirit of God in our midst is our ability to love in the manner that Jesus calls us to love. And so I invite you to consider all the implications of that, to be excited about that today. And to maybe feel a little uncomfortable about where the Spirit is taking us. And I, and I wouldn't use this as a rule of thumb, but maybe, just maybe, if we're moving into directions that makes us feel uncomfortable, it might just be that's where the Spirit's taking us. Because it seems to be kind of a bit of a pattern, at least what I see in the book of Acts. And I invite you to enjoy the journey from here moving forward, because the Spirit is still at work in this world. Partnering with God's people to tell the world about Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you for moments like this, God, where we just have opportunity to 
to learn, um, to just see in the scriptures what, what you'd have us learn. But thank you that we get to do this in, in this aspect in community for everyone here in the room and for those who are watching online. And there's this invitation for us to just be open to your spirit, both as individuals and as a community. And those two are inseparably linked. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for what you've been doing in our midst. Thank you for inviting us to follow you. And thank you for, for the wonderful ride that's ahead. Shake us up. Make us uncomfortable. Tell us where we're going. Give us the power we need to show the world what Jesus looks like. Amen. Thanks. It's been a great morning. Thank you for joining us online. And uh, next week, uh, have you come back, and we'll just carry on back into Luke in our series. And um, tonight, 7 o'clock, if you want to come, we're just going to pray. It's not complicated. We're just going to get together, and we're going to pray for what's happening in Ukraine. All right, God bless.